What's up, guys? My name is Ish San Juan, and this is the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. New York. New York gets the final for the FIFA World Cup in 2026. They beat out Dallas. It's going to be a great World Cup. I've planned out three games that I want to go to. If you're a Mexican-American, this might work for you, too. Obviously, it's going to be super hard to get tickets, but hear me out. We'll touch about, you know, quarterfinals, knockout rounds. How many games the U.S. is getting? How many games Mexico and Canada are getting? Very exciting stuff. We are a little bit over two years away from the World Cup. June 11, 2026. We will be there, hopefully. But it's going to be exciting. We're getting closer to that date. The World Cup in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico is getting closer and closer. Also, Liverpool lose to Arsenal 3-1. What does that mean for Liverpool? We'll also touch on Klopp announcing that he will leave the club at the end of this year we'll touch on what does that mean for liverpool the premier league all that good stuff real madrid tie the madrid derby to atletico 1-1 heartbreaking fashion we tie we get tied on we get scored on in stoppage time so we'll touch on that what does that mean for real madrid's la liga's aspirations and then we'll touch quickly briefly because it's been a while already i've been gone We'll touch on the Ravens choking America, <laughs> Lamar letting us down against the Chiefs, the Lions choking against the 49ers. And to conclude, we will also talk about Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. What does this mean for the AFC, the NFL, the AFC West in particular, the Chargers? We'll touch on all of that on this episode of the Hard Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. So... Although this is Super Bowl week, it is the greatest sports week in a lot of people's minds. The actual greatest sports week is probably the World Cup final. The lead up to the World Cup final, the month of football. That is the greatest sports spectacle on the world. So before we get to the Super Bowl talk, the NFL talk, we got to talk about the Super Bowl. <clears throat> before we get to the Super Bowl talk, we got to talk about the World Cup news that dropped this past weekend. And New York got announced as the site for the World Cup final. It was, you know, it was said to be between Dallas, Inglewood, LA, SoFi Stadium, and New York. SoFi Stadium and the owner, Cronky, I believe, had their whole, you know, I'm not gonna change my field for you dilemma. So they kind of fell out. It kind of big it kind of came down to Dallas versus Meadowlands versus New York. In the end, New York gets it. Am I happy about this? I mean, I don't know. You know, I have been to New York. Thankfully, I was able to go last year. I was able to go in January for the winter, and then I was able to go in August for the U.S. Open. So I do know, you know, it's going to be a little earlier than August. It's going to be in July, the final. So it's not going to be the same weather as when I went in August for the U.S. Open, but it'll be similar, and it could get a little ugly. It could get a little, ugly. It could get a little humid. It could get a little nasty in there in the New York summers. So would I have preferred to been in Dallas, although it would have been hot too in an indoor stadium, you know, weather controlled indoors, roof over your head, probably. But I mean, I understand why New York gets it. It's like New York, the Big Apple. It's one. It's like the biggest city in the world. A lot of people, that's what they think of in the U.S. They think of um, New York and Hollywood, L.A. I think it's the two things that most people think of when they think of the U.S. I don't think a lot of people think about Dallas. 
the only thing that Dallas had going for it or um, Arlington, Texas, was that it's Jerry's World. It's a huge stadium. Jerry Jones had committed to, you know, renovate his stadium. He was going to do a lot of stuff for the World Cup. He was really bidding hard for that final. In the end, New York gets it. I do think they have a better public transit system. It'll hopefully improve even more by the time the World Cup gets here. Hopefully, <clears throat> you know, they clean it up a little bit. They modernize it a little bit. It's better for when the World Cup comes around. But overall, I'm not too I'm not too upset about the about the World Cup being in New York. Um I do think Dallas maybe could have been a little bit better, but New York is fine. I don't have any any problem with that. I did wish it was gonna be in LA, so it could be just down just down the five for me that I currently live in the Bay Area. So I did I did hope at the beginning that it would be LA, but with all the situations that happened, you know, that fell through pretty quick. But at the very least, Dallas gets a semifinal. Dallas gets the most game out of any stadium in the World Cup. They get nine, I believe. And then there's a couple with eight, then there's a couple with seven. I think Toronto gets seven, Montreal gets, or Vancouver gets six. I want to say Azteca gets six as well. Levi Stadium, just down the street, right here in Santa Clara, gets six. Monterrey gets like five, I want to say. Akron gets four or five. It's going to be spread out pretty good. Um, Most of the games are going to be in the U.S. Um, Some key dates, June 11th, inaugural game is going to be in the Sayo Azteca. Mexico will be opening the World Cup with their first group stage game. Another one to look out for is July 4th, round of 16 in Philadelphia. That has a lot of people's minds in it. If the U.S. is able to get get through the group stages, get through the round of 32, because this will be expanded World Cup. There'll be way more teams in there. I think there's a 48-team field. There will be a round of 32. So if they're able to get to the round of 16, then we could potentially see the U.S. playing on July 4th in Philadelphia who wrote that script? That's a beautiful script. We might have to be there. Also, the U.S. Um, the group state games. Sorry, East Coast. You're getting the final. You're getting, you're getting the final in New York. You're getting Dallas, which is kind of in the middle. You're getting the third place match, which is in Miami. The other semifinal match is in Atlanta. So you're getting a lot of the later lock- knockout stages. But all three of the U.S. group stages games will be on the West Coast. SoFi, Seattle, SoFi. So basically Inglewood, Seattle, Inglewood. If you don't know where Inglewood is, it's pretty much LA. LA, Seattle, LA. Now I know that that, that is upsetting a lot of people because the East Coasters wants to see the US. Um there I see the comments, you know, way to alienate the East Coast. But like I said, Philadelphia, round the sixteenth, July fourth, that's a big game where potentially the US could be in. That's a big spot. Round of 32, they could potentially be in Kansas City or somewhere else. There's a lot of opportunities for you to catch the U.S. if you're on the East Coast. With the U.S. having a very young team, a lot of nice prospects, um, a lot of players entering their prime, their peak prime, their physical prime. I'm talking like Reina. I'm talking Pulisic will be like 27 years old at that time, I believe. Des will be like around 26. Reina will probably be like, what, 25, 24, I believe. So we have a lot of players entering their physical prime. They should definitely get out of the group stage, playing at home with the larger field, meaning that the round round of 32 should be a weaker draw compared to the round of 16 earlier um, in previous World Cups. So to get to the round of 16, like that could potentially happen. So you could potentially have the U.S. play at least two East Coast games if they get to the round of 32 and if they win and they get to the round of 16th. So calm down, you know. 
let us West Coasters have something. All the knockout, all the end of the knockout rounds is going to be in the East Coast. So just be cool, be cool, be cool. As far as Mexico, Mexico will play in the Estadio Azteca. Then they'll play in the Chivas Stadium, Akron. And then they'll play in the Estadio Azteca again. So if you want to follow Mexico, those are the three games. Those are the three sites of their games. And then potentially, I think I saw that the Mexican Federation is lobbying to get the round of 32 and round of 16 at the Estadio Azteca as well, if they're able to go through. So that would be very interesting. And it'll be great for my fellow native Mexicans. Um, sometimes the Mexican Federation doesn't treat you guys right. You know, they Mexico does play their World Cup qualification games in the Estadio Azteca, but all these Gold Cup tournaments are in the U.S. These new Copa America uh, tournaments that Mexico gets invited, they're all all—they're never in Mexico. They're in the U.S. or in South America. So it's a good opportunity. It's, it's good to see the Mexican Federation, you know, maybe forced or maybe by public pressure. I don't know, but whatever it is, all of their matches potentially are going to be played in Mexico unless they made... Unless they make like the the quarterfinals or the semis or maybe even the final, who knows? But it does seem that if they get at least to the round of sixteen, all those games should be in Mexico with the home crowd. Although even if they play in the U.S., it should be a home crowd too. But playing in Mexico would probably feel different. I want to be there. I hope I'm there. And as a Mexican American, I do want to go to one Mexico game, one U.S. game, and then uh, miscellaneous. My goal is to go to three games. Three World Cup games by 2026, start saving money. Hopefully, you know, no one ever knows what happens, what could happen. Something, you could have a tragedy or you could have an emergency or, you know, you got to fix your car or whatever. But hopefully I'm able to save enough money to go to at least three games at the bare minimum, bare minimum. Like if nothing goes right, like at least go to one game at SoFi, no matter who it is, like... Unfortunately, it probably won't it won't be Mexico or the U.S., but any game in the World Cup would just be an amazing experience. So, si Dios quiere. Si Dios quiere, obviously, we'll, we would want to be there at the World Cup. Um, the three games, I have, I've thought about, since we know where Mexico and the U.S. are going to play the group stages games, we don't know anybody else, but, you know, those are the two teams that I'm interested in seeing. The three-game schedule that would probably be the easiest to hit up as someone that lives in the West Coast in the Bay Area and wants to see Mexico play. I was thinking, game one, go to the Estadio Azteca. It would be crazy hard to get tickets, but go to the opening match of the World Cup. That would be amazing. Estadio Azteca, Mexico inaugural. Get to see the whole ceremony and like damn near festival that is the inaugural game. And then, and then come back to the u.s you know recover for a little bit between the matches uh maybe kick it in mexico for a little bit experience the world cup in mexico and then go to la to catch the u.s third group game and then come back to san francisco or the bay area where i'm living who knows if i'll be living here at that time um i probably will but who knows but then go to sofi right here or you know close to home or close to where i'm living right now and that would be you know a pretty i want to say you know not hard on the body not too many flights not not too crazy of a uh, travel you know go to mexico city have some fun there come back maybe go back to san diego where i'm from chill there for a little bit go to la catch the u.s game the third group stage game and then catch a round of 32 match at sofi 
and then just call it. Watch the rest of the World Cup at home and just enjoy it. That seems like a good plan. Another scenario that I thought of, you know, these are all hypotheticals. Like, who knows if I'll even get the privilege to go or if I'll even have the money saved up at that point. But it's all just fun to speculate. I, I, I want to say everyone that is either Mexican or American or Canadian who knows where their teams are going to play right now is kind of doing the same thing. We're like, man, if I had the money or if I had, you know, if I was able to do this, if I max out the credit card, which, which you shouldn't do. But if I did, like, which games would I go to? So that was my first scenario. Inaugural game Azteca, third U.S. group game in SoFi, and then uh, round of 32, whoever it is at SoFi, just down, just down the freeway, just down the 101. That would be pretty cool. And then my other, my second scenario would be because i do want to check out that monterrey stadium which looks crazy and it'll be sick as fuck to be there for the world cup which would be what was the setup that i thought of it was mexico what was the setup what was the setup um first game i think it was first game u.s at sofi uh which would be june 12th first u.s game first group stage game by the u.s at sofi go to that june 12th then go to Mexico for their third group stage game at the Azteca. And then go to Monterrey for the round of 32. Whichever game lands there, we'll go to that game. That's another one. You get to hit SoFi, which I love SoFi. It's a great stadium, one of the most modern stadiums in the U.S. Then you get to check out the Azteca. And then you get to end with, you know, BBVA. I think it's called BBVA Stadium in Monterrey. That would be amazing. That would be a great That'd be a great three games to go to the World Cup. So those that's what I have my eyes on. The other games that, you know, could potentially creep up into my attention would be... And then obviously, you know, am I going to take two weeks off at work to get all this done? A month off? Like, we got to see where I'm at with my job, too, at that point. How many days off I could get. It might have to be where you just schedule them in the weekend. And you get, like, long weekends for these games that you want to go to. So we might have to fix all of this to to just go to the games that fall on the weekends you know a lot of kids a lot could switch a lot could change so we'll see how we'll see how it goes but those those are the three games i'm trying to hit up right now or the three sets of games that i want to go inaugural for mexico third group game for us at sofi and then get the round of 32 at levi's or first group stage for the us at sofi third group stage for mexico at Azteca, and then round of 32 at in Monterrey for the for the BBBA stadium. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And overall, the U.S. is getting 78 games. Mexico is getting 13. Canada is getting 13. So very, very USA heavy. Mexico and Canada, they should get all their group stages games in their respective countries. And it does look like they'll get like their first or second knockout game in their country too. So that'll be exciting. Very exciting stuff. Like I said, I know it's Super Bowl week and everybody wants to talk Super Bowl, but world cup news just dropped so we got to talk about that first and you know we got it out the way very excited for the world cup we're still two years away but you know start you know start saving your coins start saving your chickens take care of your chickens start saving your coin because two years will go like that it'll be 2020 and a 2025 in just a year and six months and I, i believe that's when the tickets will drop so you know start keep saving a little bit of money for the world cup it's we'll get here quicker than you think Liverpool lose to Arsenal 
their top footing is kind of getting a little loose. City are just two points behind with the game in hand. If they win that game, they take first spot in the Premier League. You know, sloppy game by Liverpool. Not Didn't play their best. Credit to Arsenal for making them uncomfortable, for running, for pressuring, for putting, you know, pressure on the keeper, pressure on the defense the whole game, proposing the game, going forward, sending players forward. All that good stuff. Arsenal, solid, solid game. I don't want to say Arsenal played a great game. It was a very Arsenal win this year. You know, didn't play amazing. Had some key moments in the game that they capitalized on. Recovered, tracked back, a lot of hustle. I think Arsenal was playing better last year, but, you know, right now they're pretty close to the top of the table. We'll see if they're able to push Liverpool and City to the end. But, you know, very, very solid win for Arsenal. They got a lot of criticism at the end for celebrating, for taking pictures. Odegaard was taking pictures of the cameraman. I think um, Jorginho was doing some other stuff that got some criticisms from, like, you know, the pundits. I think it's all good and fun. You know, you beat Liverpool 3-1. It's it's good stuff. Like, last few years, uh, Arsenal have been getting points from Liverpool. They've actually been competitive. They've been able to beat them, draw at Anfield, you know, get some points. So they've been doing better against Liverpool. I think it's it's okay to celebrate. It's fine. For Liverpool, a little disappointing. Now you have City in your rear view, rear view mirror looking, catching up to you. Foden scored a hat-trick on Monday. City looks like, you know, they're they're getting ready. They're getting ready to make that push, that mid-season push where, you know, they catch up to the leader and then they push away and then they win another league. It looks like that's what's going to happen again. But overall for Liverpool, sloppy game. Nothing to worry about. Klopp looked very, very calm at the end of the game, the press conference. He didn't look worried. Obviously, when you have two of your best players on the field, um, in Van Dijk and Allison making mistakes, you know, it's a, it's not a common occurrence. So, L- Liverpool could have definitely, you know, played better. They had some chances that they could have put away. It is what it is. Potentially, they could lose that first place to City now if they win out. But overall. January as a whole has to be a successful report. They didn't have their best players law for a large period of it because of Avcon. He should be back this next game and potentially they're just going to be one game behind City. I mean one point behind City. With a lot of games left, a lot of football left, they played solid enough without Salah that if you, if you get Salah back, you would think that they'll be in there to the end. But I have predicted you know, in December, at the end of November, I was predicting that when De Bruyne gets back, it was it was bad for the league. It was bad for the league. You need to build a cushion. You need to build a stronger cushion for when De Bruyne comes back. Because when he comes back, you know, it's 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 scary. He's he's a top player. He's a he's one of the best players in the world. It's not it's not like you're just adding, you know, Jorginho or something. You're adding Kevin De Bruyne to a to a competitive team that's only a few points behind the leader. And the two teams ahead have had their hiccups, Liverpool and Arsenal, and they're you know, they're duking it out, they're dropping points to each other. I still believe City's gonna win the league, but like I said, if I'm a Liverpool fan who thinks that this is the year that Liverpool is gonna win the league again, January has to be looked at as a success. From the standpoint that they didn't drop too many points without Salah. But, you know, keep an eye out for City because they're they're right there. Review mirror, they're right there. Now let's talk about Klopp. He announced that he's going to leave. It's sad. 
it's sad for a Premier League fan. It's fan. It's sad for a fan of the sport, fa- fan of footy, fan of football. Obviously, it's super sad for Liverpool fans. I know. Um, guest of the show, Matt has <laughs> has expressed his very very deep sadness that he feels with Klopp leaving. My other homie Rudy, he's super sad too. Other Liverpool fans that I know, super down. It's a sad moment. They're mourning. They're mourning that he's leaving. But, you know, it was a good period. It's a good time. We'll see what Guardiola does if he continues to stay with City. If now that he loses his number one rival, he wants to go to a different challenge. Maybe go back to Barca. Who knows? We'll see how he feels. Maybe go coach the national team. I feel like, in a sense... Obviously, Liverpool fans and Liverpool is going to feel a little empty, but the Premier League as a whole is going to feel empty, too. It's going to feel like maybe it's time to turn the page on the whole Premier League. Maybe Pep starts feeling that way, too. Maybe he starts feeling like, okay, I conquered this era. The the team, the coach that challenged me the hardest are now turning the table. Is it time for me to go find a new rival? So it's kind of like Pokemon in the sense that once a region is completed, he always goes to the next region and, you know, tries out a new adventure. He gets a new rival and, you know, does the same thing over and over again. And, you know, just basically enjoys a new region. Like Pep, Pep has done it in La Liga. He's done it in the Bundesliga. He's done it in the Premier League. Like, is it time to go to the national team level? Maybe he wants to try himself in Italy, go back to Barcelona, rebuild that project. Who knows? But back to Klopp, you know, he did good in Germany. He won with Dortmund. He won with Liverpool. Where does he want to go next? Like, he said he's not going to coach in the Premier League again. I got a respect for Liverpool. He probably won't go to another German team because he does have respect for Dortmund, too. Is he in line to be the next Barcelona coach? Can he try Italy? I don't know. Maybe the national team as well? I don't know, but I think Klopp deserves that year off. He deserves to, you know, recoup mental health. That work-life balance, everyone has to find it, even even professionals, even people that we watch on TV, club, everybody. So, you know, have before him. Um, but looking back at his era in Liverpool, one Premier League, one Champions League, and, you know, numerous FA Cups, how would we grade that? If you look at it from the gutter that Liverpool was before club, then it's amazing. He did an amazing job. He turned that organization around he brought them back to glory he brought them back into the europe greats you know liverpool deserve with their history with all the championships that they won in european tournaments they deserve to be among the greats and he brought liverpool back there you know perennial quarterfinals semifinals in the champions league 1-1 against tottenham one of the most boring champions league final but you know he won one uh he won a premier league he broke the club record for most points in a Premier League season. Um, you know, he got second place a couple of times. Um, FA Cups, obviously, is prestigious. Big tournament in England. So, overall, if you look at it from where Liverpool was and where he's leaving them, success, amazing time. But if you were to just compare it to the history of Liverpool, their golden era, if you compare it against what it means to be Liverpool, all their European success, biggest team in England, arguably, with Manchester United, then I think it's it's a good job. It's like a B plus. 
one Premier League, one Champions League, FA Cups. Great, great spell. But, like, if you're Liverpool, you get graded amongst the European gods, you know? You get graded, like, I mean, no one gets graded like Real Madrid. But you get graded like Real Madrid, you know, the San Siro, Milan, all these great teams, Bayern. You get graded amongst those teams. And their respective leagues, obviously. So, one Champions League, one league title, you know, doesn't really cut it for a great team to be called the golden generation. If you want to compare it against the 30 years before, obviously super successful. And and don't think, take this as a criticism. This is actually, I want to say it's a compliment to Liverpool. I'm saying that their history is so great that it would be... Like, it would be a small club mentality of them to think of this as a great, super golden era. Because, I mean, Chelsea won a Champions League in, what, 2012? And they won some Premier Leagues around that time, too. Multiple Premier Leagues. Um, They won one, what, like three, four years ago during COVID year with Pulisic. And they won, you know, a Premier League around that time, too, I believe. So, Premier League teams do this. Obviously, not too many Premier League teams have won Champions League like that in the, in the last few years. But, you know, it does get done. And obviously, Liverpool was more consistent than those Chelsea teams. They only won one league, which is kind of sad. But they were always there. And, like, the level that they brought year in, year out is something to, you know, applaud and command. But in the end, it was just one Premier League, one Champions League. Champions League, obviously, cachet for, like, almost, like, two leagues. But one league only. I do believe that if he wins the Premier League this year, I think it's a great bow tie. It closes out this chapter with a you know smile on the face. Two two Premier Leagues, one Champions League, numerous FA Cups. I think that'll be a great way to end it. You you could actually flirt with the idea of golden era for Liverpool at that time. Yeah, they scored a lot of points. Yeah, they broke the club record for points. Their offense is good. They played good football. But it was just one Premier League. It's a little sad that it was only one. Like I would have liked them to beat Chelsea. I mean, to beat uh, Man City more than more than once, because Man City is like you know the common enemy for everybody. But it is what it is. I want Klopp. I'm gonna say I miss you. I'm gonna miss you, and I wish you you know best of luck everywhere you go, except if you go to Barcelona. But I respect you. I commend you for you know taking care of your mental and like work-life balance and all that stuff anybody can get burnt out even professional managers but overall great job at liverpool the madrid derby was this weekend and real madrid lose two points at the very end they had all three points and they give up a goal to llorente of all people ex-madrid tie 1-1 against atletico and we dropped two points now we're only two points ahead of girona who's in second place we play them on saturday so you know Vamos Blancos, but overall, like if you take everything into consideration, Vinny getting hurt in the warm-ups, the goal that got taken away from Atletico, you know, some penalties that could have been called in Madrid's favor. Atletico did have some chances. Um, you know, Lunin was a factor. He scored, you know, he saved like a header right in front of him. He's He stopped Griezmann with his little flick, with his back heel flick. Like there were... Don't want to take anything away from Atletico. They had their chances. They they were not by any means uh, the lesser, lesser team. I do think Madrid, Real Madrid played better. 
but Atletico was right there too. They have gotten results against us um, this year. Historically, they're not the greatest going to the Bernabeu, but this year they've gotten some results off of us. So no Vinny, goal taken away from Atletico, penalties not, you know, going in our favor that could have been called, Lunin being a factor, Real Madrid missed some chances too. Overall, the tie is not bad. We stay two points ahead of Girona. We, we're going to beat them on Saturday. We're going to go five points clear. And we're going to take a stranglehold of La Liga. Good weekend for Barcelona. You know, Madrid and Real Madrid drop points. So they get to move up. But overall, disappointing loss. Or disappointing loss of two points at the end of the game. Disappointing draw. But overall, it, I think it hurts more because it came in stoppage time. It came like in the last breath of the game but overall with Vinny getting hurt and everything that happened I think overall it was a it was a respectable result we'll see how Vinny is I think he should be fine and we go against Girona on Saturday and vamos blancos así así gana el Madrid we're gonna win on Saturday we're gonna take like I said we're gonna take stranglehold of La Liga five points clear this Saturday and quickly uh now we're finally getting to the NFL it's Super Bowl week but I do want to touch on the championship games real quick. Um, I didn't get to talk about them, and I do want to talk about them. Ravens versus Chiefs. Lions versus 49ers. Let's go. So the Ravens were everyone's picks going into the AFC championship. Lamar Jackson was called Lamerica. Um, everybody was doing edits on Instagram, doing reels, doing TikToks. Um, super cool edits, like... Taylor Swift singing, singing, and then boom, cutscene. Boom, boom, boom. Like Lamar Jackson walking down the tunnel, ready to take him down. It, it got me so hyped. And I believed in him. I wanted it to be true. I'm, I'm like, Lamar Jackson's going to win his second MVP. He's going to beat Mahomes. He's going to go win his Super Bowl. He's going to be one Super Bowl behind Mahomes. Same amount of MVPs. One Super Bowl behind him. It's going to be a rivalry for the ages. It's going to be great. That defense is great. They're going to stop Mahomes. They're going to stop Kelsey. They're going to run all over them. And unfortunately, it was none of that. Mahomes and the Chiefs go down and score on their first, what, two, three drives. Put a lot of fear into the Ravens um, team. They abandon the run. Lamar Jackson throws into triple coverage to his backup tight end. Down 10 points in the fourth quarter. I can't believe it. Like That play is going to haunt me. For a long time, as a free agent fan, I was really rooting for the Ravens. And Lamar Jackson, after not having the best game, was driving them down in the fourth quarter to make the game close. And he throws into triple coverage to his backup tight end, down 10. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He threw his helmet in frustration. I was like, yeah, like you should be throwing your helmet. Like, what the hell was that? And they still had chances, but they couldn't do it. They abandoned the run. They got scared of Mahomes and that offense. They thought they had to get in a shootout. In the end... They could have just stuck to their game plan, but it is what it is. Credit to the Chiefs, credit to Mahomes, credit to Kelsey, credit to that Chiefs defense. And, you know, I'm not going to doubt the Chiefs too much anymore. They keep shutting me up. They're the new Patriots. They're inevitable. It is what it is. They're just a class above everybody at this time. Um, the 49ers do have a great team, though, so we'll see what happens in the Super Bowl. But, man, the Ravens let me down. They let America down. Everybody was rooting for a new AFC team to represent the AFC. 
in the Super Bowl. We thought it was the Ravens. We thought this was the year. The wounded Chiefs, the not as strong Chiefs offense, and they still got to the Super Bowl. It is what it is. We'll see what the Ravens do next year. This It felt like this was supposed to be the year. No Burrow. Chiefs were weekend. Um, Herbert and the Chargers still can't, couldn't get it together this year. CJ Stroud, rookie year. You know, he's only going to get better. It felt like this was the year, and they couldn't do it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But they didn't have the worst loss of the week because the Lions choked. They were up so much at halftime. And then... It just the the 49ers flipped the script. Purdy started running like like a young Michael Vick, started trucking people. He almost ran over Debo because he wouldn't get out of his way. Um, and I will say this. There's been two instances this playoffs where I was like, damn, God is a 49er fan. First time, divisional round, I went to the game at Levi Stadium. Niners take the lead for the first time in the whole second half. They go up three with like less than two minutes left. The Packers take the field to try to go get the field goal and tie the game or go win the game. Everyone knows how that game ended. Jordan Love throws across his body, gets intercepted, game over. But as soon, I mean, it was it was raining on and off lightly the whole game. As soon as the Packers took the field with less than two minutes down three, it starts coming down. I'm recording the game and I look up and I'm like, whoa. It's coming down hard now. And I was like, is Mother Nature, is God a 49ers fan? Or why is it raining so hard right now as soon as the Packers take the field? That was the first time I thought that. Second time, Lions have all the momentum. 49ers can't move the ball. It looks like the Lions are just going up and down the field. Purdy throws a prayer of a throw, overthrows Ayuk, hits the Lions defender in the helmet, pops up, Ayuk catches it, 50-yard past or whatever it was inside the 10 and then the 49ers never gave the momentum back to the Lions Dan Campbell could have stopped the bleeding with a field goal to tie the game I believe at 24 decides to go for it doesn't get it the floodgates just are wide open and then you know GG it is what it is um I will say Dan Campbell could have played a little smarter Definitely could have, like, you know, take the points. I would have kicked the field goal down three in the fourth after not scoring the whole third quarter or, like, after not scoring in the in the second half. I forgot I forget where in the game that was. But it is what it is. Dan Campbell stuck to his guns. He's known for going on fourth down. He went for it on fourth down. Staley, we're going to talk about the Chargers in a little bit. Staley used to do that. He got burned by the media after losing to the Raiders in the week 18 and missing out in the playoffs for, you know, playing aggressive, going for it on fourth down, and, you know, however that game folded out. And then he lost his edge. He stopped going for it on fourth down as much. He stopped. It kind of looked like he was listening to the media. He lost his edge. And Dan Campbell, I think that's what makes him great. It could be his downfall. It could be his Achilles heel, too. But it's what makes him great. It's that bravado that, like, put all the chips in. Like, we're going to take your kneecaps. That whole attitude, it all encapsulates that. So that's part of the reason, one of the main reasons they're even in this position. So I respect him for sticking to his guns. It's a learning experience. Maybe next year he takes the points, but he still goes for it on fourth down on other occasions. He went for it on fourth down to start the third quarter, and he didn't get it. That one makes more sense to me. Um, He's trying to go for the kill. The field goal, let's take the points. Let's tie the game. Let's stop the bleeding. 
it is what it is. I respect that in Cowboy. I respect the Lions. Sucks that their season ended like that. And we'll see how that division plays out. It could be a one-and-done year for the Lions, like as far as reigning the division. Bears have the first pick. Jordan Love looked great in the playoffs. It's rumored that the Vikings are going to move up in the draft to get a quarterback. So we'll see how it plays out. It's going to be a fun division the next few years. Shout-out to the Lions for a great season. Shout-out to the 49ers for, you know, stealing that game back. They showed their class. They got a little lucky with the throw for you, which sparked everything. But after that, they never looked back. They put us. They they snatched that game away from the Lions. It's gonna be a great Super Bowl. 49ers are stacked. Purdy has shown that he, you know, he could do it in the playoffs. Mahomes is a dog. Obviously, the Chiefs are the, you know, the kingdom that everyone wants to fall. It's gonna be a great Super Bowl. But championship games were great. Sorry it took me that long to talk about it. I, I was I was in Australia for the Australian Open. So before we get to that, let's quickly just talk about Jim Harbaugh. So Jim Harbaugh goes to the Chargers. He's talking about multiple Super Bowls. And I will say pump the brakes, put a little respect in the Chiefs' name. All they do is go to the ABC Championship, go to the Super Bowl. In a down year, they're in the Super Bowl. Everybody was doubting them this year. They're in the Super Bowl. I was doubting them. The media was doubting them. Mahomes is not him. Down year, wide receivers suck, all this stuff. They're in the Super Bowl. So, low respect to the Chiefs. But I will say this. Harbaugh has won at USD. He's won at Stanford. He almost won the whole thing with the 49ers. He won with Michigan. He's a proven coach. He wants to win the chip with the 49ers. I mean, he couldn't win the chips with the 49ers. He wants to win it with the Chargers. But he's a winner. He, I've been watching his interviews. I already know the energy that Jim Harbaugh brought from his liner years and you know from just watching him in college and like just seeing him on the internet but i've been watching some of his interviews with like um um colin coward and i believe he went on pat mcafee show too and just the energy that he brings is just contagious you're just hearing him talking you're, you're just nodding your head and you're you're feeling the energy that he brings so i think that's going to be great for the chargers also he's a quarterback he played for the chargers is like full circle he talked about the relationship he has with the with the spanos and all that it's gonna be great i think it's a good it's a good fit it's a actually i think it's a great fit especially because he's a quarterback he could help justin herbert get to that next level justin herbert has all the arm talent he's mobile enough where he could actually hurt you with his mobility with his legs so he's he's you know as close as they come to a prototype quarterback in 2024. Strong arm, for the most part, makes strong, good decisions. Athletic. What he's missing is, you know, those key comebacks that really cement your name that people remember. Like, damn, he brought them back to such and such state. Boom, boom, boom. He needs more of those moments. It could be that, you know, he had the worst coach in the NFL and Brandon Staley. It could be, you know, his wide receivers keep getting hurt. But I think Jim Harbaugh is going to help him in that regard. He's going to be that voice in his ear. He's going to, you know, have the experience. He's been there. He's done that. He's played quarterback in the NFL. And the other thing that Justin Herbert is missing is he kind of he's kind of missing that dog in him. He doesn't really get in people's faces. He doesn't really, you know, grab the players' um, pads and tells them, like, come on, let's go do this. You don't really see him walking up the, down the sideline, getting people ready when they're about to take the field. Like, you never really see him do that. I love that in a quarterback. Like Brady did that, Manning did that, Rogers didn't do that as much. He's kind of more laid back, but I like that. I like, I like them. I like them going in there, clapping. Like, come on, let's go do this. 
And I think that part of Justin Herbert, I'm pretty sure Jim Harbaugh could bring that out of him because Jim Harbaugh has more than enough of that. He's overfilling with whatever that is. He, he's just super charismatic. He's He's like such a big persona. He expects so much from his players. He's not afraid to speak his mind and get in people's faces and tell them how it is. So I think just naturally being in the day-to-day with Jim Harbaugh, I think is going to bring some of that out of Justin Herbert. And I think that's a good thing for Justin Herbert and for the Chargers. So I think it's going to be interesting. People of LA, people of San Diego, those San Diego people are still root for the Chargers. Things can be exciting times. Fuck the Chargers, though, still for leaving San Diego. I'm not over that. I'm still a free agent fan. But exciting times for LA, for those San Diego fans still in San Diego. And we'll see how it goes. I think it's going to be real exciting. Justin Herbert and the Chargers get Jim Harbaugh. I think it's going to be a great fit. Watch out AFC. And we'll see how the Chiefs handle these new look Chargers. But overall, I think it's great for the NFL. Great to have Harbaugh back. Great for the Chargers. The Chargers actually have a direction now. They actually have hope. We'll see what they do going forward. And, you know, the reason why it took me so long to talk about all these topics was because... I did actually get to attend the Australian Open this year. I did get to go to Australia. I saw John Sinner um, play against Rublev. I was on my way back in the final, but I was score watching. I was watching. Um, I was reading Twitter. I was watching all the Twitter feeds and seeing all the updates on my Twitter feed. And then I did watch the match once I got to the U.S. So, I, you know, I saw everything, but I was score watching on my phone. And, man... I think John Sinner, he is him. Like, to beat Djokovic, the GOAT, in his fortress. Like, Djokovic is already a god in any tennis court he's, he walks into. Any tennis court he's playing at, he's a god. He's a man amongst gods. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He's bigger than tennis in any tennis court that he walks into. But in Melbourne, in Australia, at the Australian Open, he is damn near unbeatable he hadn't lost in like over 2000 days i believe some crazy stat he is a walking god in melbourne like that's his tournament he's him for center at what 21 22 years old i believe 22 years old to beat him in the semis um beat him what three out of the last four times he's played him to just when in four sets didn't even go five he beat him in four sets uh Djokovic did look like he was tired. He was missing a lot, a lot of unforced errors, but take nothing away from Djokovic. I mean, take nothing away from Sinner. He deserved that. He was on fire. He didn't drop a set till the semifinals to Djokovic. And then he came back from 0-2 against Medvedev. Just amazing stuff by Sinner. Like, it's really the Sinner, Alcaraz, and Djokovic era right now. It's those two, those two young guns, and Djokovic still... I mean, this was a hiccup on the road, but he's still... You know, he's still always going to be competing for slams, at least this year, probably next year. We'll see how his body keeps up. But it really seems like it's those three competing for slams. Medvedev, uh, a little bit below those two. Um, he's like the next second tier. And then after Medvedev, there's like a gap. And then it's like Zverev and TC Paz and Rublev. And it, it does feel like that next, next generation has surpassed that next generation. It looks like Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, they're going to be 
they might not ever get a slam to be honest like their time might have passed it felt like it was this this was the tournament for Zverev or Medvedev to get their first or second respectively a slam but it didn't happen it's Zinner's time and he he seems like such a good kid like from all the clips I watch of ATP on Instagram on YouTube he just looks like he's always smiling always having a good time super down-to-earth guy seems like and just strikes the ball so hard he's he's a great player super happy for center like i said i did go i did get to attend the australian open this year amazing experience worth the 16 and a half hour flight from san francisco um 15 hours back this way it was crazy 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 stuff but it was worth it. Like I said, it was an amazing experience. I did get to go to the U.S. Open last year. And I will say that I kind of preferred the Australian Open. I don't know if it was because I was in a new country and I was just wide-eyed, looking everywhere. Everything was, like, so cool to me. But something about the Australian Open, something about Rod Laver Arena, that the way it's designed, there's only one entrance to go down and up. It just felt so cool being there. Um, I do wish I get a chance to go back. But who knows? It is kind of far and it is pretty expensive to go. But amazing experience i'm super glad that more young players are winning slams um i think it's good for the sport that players win slams while Djokovic is still like a great player so once he's gone we could like we get to like not diminish their accomplishments by saying damn they didn't win anything till Djokovic retired like like this generation's not as good like i know that would be a thing if they would have, if Alcaraz and Sinner and Medvedev to a degree never won a slam while Djokovic was still reigning supreme and then he retires and they win their slams, it would kind of diminish it a little bit. Like, yeah, and like no one really got to get one when he was still here towards the end of the big three end of Djokovic. For them to win some while he's still, you know, top dog, number one in the world, I think it's good for tennis going forward. And I'm super happy for Sinner. Super happy that I got to go to Australian Open. It was a great time. Um, we'll see. I got to hit up Wimbledon and French Open next. We'll see. Probably not this year because it's a lot of money. But we'll see when I get to hit it. Shout out to my boy, Nikenna, who passed away last year. Motivated me to go see the world and experience life to the fullest because we don't know how much time we have in this world. Um, shout out to my boy, Nikenna. Shout out to us chilling open for having a great tournament. Shout out to Sinner. Sabalenka, too. I didn't get to talk about Sabalenka, but she's amazing. I love Sabalenka. She ran through the whole tournament. There's nothing to talk about Sabalenka. She just ran through the whole tournament, dominated the whole women's uh, WTA, just dominated everybody. Back-to-back Australian Opens. Shout out to Sabalenka. Shout out to Sinner. Great Australian Open. Great time in Australia. And... Stay tuned for my prediction on the Super Bowl, probably coming out on Friday. This is the Hard Handle Sports Podcast, as always. Thank you for making it to the end. Peace. Peace.